Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the true definition of a sports fanatic. I'm your host, Brandon Lampley. Feels good to be back today. Another week. Have a chance to give you my thoughts and let you pick my brain for about a half an hour. But first and foremost, we have to talk about the NFL's reigning Super Bowl champs, the New England Patriots, but more specifically, their owner, Robert Kraft. Now, Robert Kraft is probably one of the most influential owners in all of sports. When he talks, people listen. But before I get into why Mr. Kraft has been in the news for the last couple of days, give you a little backstory on the man. Robert Kenneth Kraft, born June 5th, 1941, 77 years old, was born in Brookline, Massachusetts. Graduated from Columbia University with his bachelor's. Uh, then he went to Harvard. You got to say it like that, you know, because it's real sadity. Harvard University with his MBA. And uh, his occupation, he's a businessman. His net worth is $6.6 billion. Uh, he's currently the owner of the New England Patriots. Uh, he bought them back in 1994. And he got his claim to fame before the Patriots. He got his claim to fame by being the CEO of the Kraft Group. Now, the Kraft Group has zero to do with Kraft Mac and Cheese. I know it's very shocking. Many people thought that was the case. No. The Kraft Group is a diversified holding company with assets in paper and packaging and sports and entertainment, real estate development, and a private equity portfolio. So, yeah, he's the owner of the Patriots. He owns a major league soccer team called the New England Revolution and he's the owner of Gillette Stadium, where both of the teams play. Now, that was just to give you an idea of who this man is, which is why what I'm getting ready to talk about is so shocking. So Mr. Kraft has been charged with soliciting another to commit prostitution. Now, I know you might say, you know, this, you know, it might not be a big deal because that's what men do. They buy prostitutes, especially rich men. But this is all related to an eight-month investigation into a human trafficking ring in Florida. So the spa where he was, he, and he was videotaped. They have video surveillance of him going into the spa and having sex acts, you know, committed on him. So this is down in Jupiter, Florida. And they say hundreds of men are involved in soliciting sex. And this allegedly happened in a day spa. So the police say they have him on video twice in a 24-hour period. And one of the times, it was the morning of the AFC Championship game before the Patriots played the Kansas City Chiefs. So at 10.59, he signed into the massage parlor slash day spa. Um, at 11.02, he entered, to room, entered the room with the young lady. And at 11.13, he was finished back in his car on his way to the airport to catch his flight to Kansas City to watch his Patriots play, who eventually ended up going on to the Super Bowl and winning. My man. <laughs> and, you know, this wouldn't be so significant if, you know, it didn't, this wasn't a human trafficking ring because now it's a federal investigation. If this was just, you know, simple prostitution, you know, it's a slap on the wrist, pay a fine, say you're not going to do it anymore, donate some money to charity, and then next year you win some games and then all is forgiven. Oh, no, this is a federal investigation. 
Now, it might not mean anything, you know, to him per se, because the man is worth six billion dollars and money is going to keep him out of a lot of things. Now, for me, me, for an example, if Brandon Lampley is caught up in a human trafficking ring in Florida, where I currently live, I will be put, as my grandmother would love to used to love to say to me, you'll be put under the jail. I'm not getting out. I'm not getting away with anything. Now, Mr. Crab has been officially charged with two misdemeanor counts of soliciting prostitution, which makes me think, you know, he's going to get off legally. Now, the NFL is going to come down as hard as they possibly can and make an example out of him. But two misdemeanor counts, $6 billion, he'll be able to beat it. But this shines a light on sex trafficking, human trafficking, because these girls they, you know, when I did some did some research and they say these women who were involved in the ring, they were given no days off. They averaged about 1,500 men a year and their hygiene was minimal at best. So we're talking about women who were pressed into sexual servitude with the allure of becoming a U.S. citizen. And basically they use sex to pay off their debt. So they become a citizen. But Debts never get paid off, and most of them never become citizens. And if you go into a you know massage parlor, well, not even say massage parlor. If you're dealing with uh, prostitutes and paying women to have sex for money, and you're somewhere in America and none of the women speak English, that should be a telltale sign that something is wrong. Now, apparently, Florida is a hotbed for. Uh, the trade of human beings for sexual exploitation and forced labor. Uh, we're only behind California and New York as having the most cases in the United States. And, you know, this is because of the large immigrant population here in Florida. So think about it. Think about all those immigrants who come here with not a dime in their pocket and they can't speak any English and they're looking for opportunities and someone comes along with said opportunity and they're not in a position to turn it down, whether it's good or bad. And then they're basically shanghaied into servitude and some of them never find their way out. Now, some would ask, did Robert Kraft know uh, what kind of operation was going on behind the scenes at this place? Now, you know, I could see both sides of the argument. Some people say, oh, yes, he knew. And there's no doubt about it. And some say, hey, he probably didn't know. I kind of lean towards him probably not knowing because of the type of man, what kind, the type of status he has, because he isn't hands on in his day to day life. He has people for that. And this I'm sure this isn't new behavior for him. This is something he's probably been doing for a long time for majority of his life. The guy's 77 years old. So he probably most likely thought that this was a place just like any other place that he he's visited to, you know, engage in these activities. Now, it just so happened that at this particular place, this was it was a human trafficking ring and he got caught up. So I can see how he might not have known that, you know, this was an illegal setup. Well, illegal in the fact that this was human trafficking. Of course, he knows it's illegal. The only place where it's legal, I think, is in um what is it, Reno and uh, Las Vegas. Other than that, um, it is illegal. Now, 
that's another story for another day because I truly believe that prostitution should not be illegal because if a woman wants to, woman man or woman wants to sell themselves sell their bodies for money that's on them because it doesn't hurt anybody think about it the only reason that it's illegal is because the US government cannot tax it there's no way for them to tax it currently anyway that's the only reason that it is illegal now you see how quickly weed has starting to become legal is because now they um, come up with these dispensaries and they're able to tax it. But even if Mr. Kraft didn't know, I don't feel sorry for him because at the end of the day, the man is still a billionaire. So he's facing now the NFL and the commissioner, Roger Goodell, who's very heavy handed. So let's say worst case scenario is they force him to sell the team. The Patriots are currently worth about $1.4 billion. So you're going to make him sell the team and his net worth is going to go up to about $8 billion. And I can see him now being chauffeured off into the sunset in a Bentley with suicide doors uh, while eating a turkey sandwich with mayo and gray poupon, drying his tears with Benjamins. I will not cry for you, Argentina. Now, let's switch it up just a little bit, but we'll stay in the NFL, talk some news and notes from around the league this week. Um, The Cincinnati Bengals uh, placed their 2017 first rounder wide receiver John Ross on the trading block. And apparently one day after they did it, uh, reports emerged that it was false and they never, you know, put him on the trading block. Now, what that means to me is that they dangled John Ross. They spread rumors about it out. They spread rumors about him being available. And teams start pouring in with the offers. And they didn't like whatever the teams were offering for him. And so now they're coming out backtracking and denying that they want to trade him. I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. The Philadelphia Eagles won't tag Nick Foles. They'll let him enter free agency. And if you can't tell, I am super excited about that because, of course, the front runners to land Nick Foles is the Jaguars. Now, I'm not against it, but I would rather them sign a, you know, a mid-level veteran QB um, as a bridge to the rookie quarterback that they should draft in the first round this year. You know, draft Kyler Murray or draft Dwayne Haskins, sign Teddy Bridgewater or Tyrod Taylor and, you know, and go from there. But signing Nick Foles to 25 plus million dollars, I, I really don't see it. I I can really I can really see him coming here and laying a egg. I, I really can. Uh, more news and notes. Uh, oh, from the CFL, Johnny Manziel, who's just who's been a just a waste of talent since he entered into the NFL. Who uh, he was in the CFL this last year, and uh, he was released by the Montreal Alouettes because he violated the terms that made him eligible to play in the CFL. Now, what this sounds like to me is that he wanted to get out of his contract with the CFL so he could either play in the XFL or the AAF. That's just me personally. I don't think he really got into any trouble or anything like that because he seems to have gotten himself back on the right path and gotten himself together. I just think he saw the AAF and he's like, you know, that looks fun. I want to be a part of that. Or even the XFL with Vince McMahon. So, you know, we'll see. Cowboys defensive end Randy Gregory has been suspended for all of the 2019 football season 
you know, for substance abuse once again. I mean, we're talking about a guy who was ridiculously talented at the defensive end position, and he's fighting real demons, just like Josh Gordon. I mean, this is this is more than addiction for guys like this. I mean, for a lot of people who don't know, when you come into the league, to come into the NFL, and you're not in the drug program, you get tested once a year, and you already know the date. Players know the date that they get tested once a year. So if you get busted on any substance, you have a problem because you know when the test is coming and you can't stop yourself long enough to pass the test. You have a problem. Now, once you enter into the, you know, the drug on um, the substance abuse program, then the test come randomly. You could be on vacation with your wife in Vegas and they come knock on the hotel uh, room door three o'clock in the morning. Uh, yes, I'm here to see Mr. Lampley. Um, I need you to pee in this cup for me right now. And you got to pee in the cup right in front of them. And you have to report to them where you're going to be at, where you're going. And if you're not in place, it counts as a failed test and you will face consequences. And then even with that, um, a failed test, one failed test doesn't result in suspension. You have to have multiple failed tests before you get suspended. Like I think on your third failed test, you get hit with the four games. On the fourth test, you get hit with the year. And anytime you get hit after that, it's going to be an entire year. So the Cowboys are going to support Gregory through this time. You know, I hope he gets himself together uh, because he's really struggling right now. Now, the Arizona Cardinals, their GM today came out, I guess, to you know reassure people that Josh Rosen is their quarterback. And the way he said it, you know, was pretty laughable. He said that, you know, Josh is their quarterback for now, for sure. I don't know about you, but that sounds very reassuring. You know, if I was Josh Rosen, I would go, you know, to the owner and the GM, Steve. And I was like, oh, my God, thank you so much, Steve. You know, I was up all night. All day I couldn't sleep because I didn't know if you guys were committed to me. But after hearing your words in the news today about I'm your quarterback for now, for sure, I, it's a weight lifted off my shoulders. The monkey is off my back. Let's go win some games. Also, the NFL Competition Committee met Monday, and the biggest topic on the table was about expanding instant replay to review penalties and to review penalties that were called or were not called. Now, this is all because of a few New Orleans fans trying to make wine out of the sour grapes they've been eating on since the NFC Championship game. People, let it go. Please let it go. Because I told you, the calls balanced themselves out. They didn't call you guys, they didn't call the Rams for pass interference, but they also did not call the Saints for a face mask on Jared Goff. Please let it go. Now, I don't see this happening for a couple of reasons. Number one, first and foremost, is that it's going to slow the game down. Now, the NFL, one of their issues was they their games were too long. We're talking about three hours and 30 minutes with just regulation. Now, that isn't, that isn't even including overtime. So now... They've gotten their product, you know, under three hours. We're talking two hours, 30 minutes, you know, two hours, 45 minutes. And they're still trying to find ways to cut down on how long the games are taking. Adding more replay 
is going to make the game slower. That's the reason why baseball isn't as popular with the youth and it's a dying sport because it's too slow. So that's why it's not happening. Another reason it won't happen is because you're put, going to put more pressure on referees and their officiating crews to make calls and get calls perfect. Now, they already have a ton of pressure on them, and there's no way to get rid of human error in the game. It's just not possible. And referees are part of the excitement of the game. Think about it. You're watching your favorite team, and you guys just hit a big play down the field. And think about the anxiety you get when you see that yellow hanky on the field. And you don't know whether it's against the opposition or whether it's against your team, and it's going to negate your current big play. You know, you, I love it. I can't get enough of it. Now, of course, when it goes against you, you hate it, but it's a part of the game, and it makes the game exciting. Now, let's switch gears and talk some NBA. Um, I want to start it off by congratulating the GOAT, Mr. LeBron James, on becoming top 10 in assists while also being top five in scoring. It, that is an amazing feat. Think about the offensive load he has to carry night in and night out. Nobody has done it better than LeBron James. Now, with that being said, that's where the positivity of this segment ends because isn't that's the only positive thing that has come out of L.A. in like the last, what, two weeks. They're in dysfunction. They lost the other night to the Memphis Grizzlies, and in the waning moments of the game, they were, the Grizzlies were up by four, and James drove to the basket, and Joakim Noah took a charge, and it was offensive, um, offensive foul on LeBron James, which pretty much ended the game. And what's significant about that is Joakim Noah is still in the league. Shocked the crap out of me. I, I didn't even know the dude still played basketball, period. I mean, good for him, man. I, th I thought he was out of the league. The man with the wispy hair and the beige rage scowl on his face. Good for him. Keep getting them checks, dog. But now with that loss, the Lakers fall to 11th in the West. And now it's really an uphill climb to get into the playoffs. Where I told you they... Even if they get to the eighth seed, that gets you two more weeks of basketball because you're getting put out by the Warriors in the first round. It's happening. Now, overall, as a team, they are not playing well. They don't look good. Now, LeBron himself in particular, it's clear that he's out of shape. He's not in basketball shape. He looks to be overweight. He's giving minimal, minimal effort on defense not even just one-on-one -on -one defense, even uh, team help defense, he's not giving much effort. It's just, just a bad look for him and the team overall. But they're in this space now because of the trade at the trade deadline that didn't happen with Anthony, Anthony Davis of the New Orleans Pelicans. So now basically LeBron has the task of trying to gain the trust back of a, of a young locker room who he basically was going to trade for Anthony Davis. Now, I know a lot of people say he was going to trade for him, but Magic Johnson was going to trade those boys away. And a lot of people say, well, LeBron's the GM anywhere, wherever he goes. You know, 
really doesn't matter to me. I don't care. I don't buy into that, and I don't feed into that. Players play, GMs manage, owners own, and coaches coach. Now, LeBron did say something that I agree with. He said basically that if, you know, you can't handle the distractions and the outside noise, then the Lakers franchise isn't for you because it's Showtime Lakers. The circus is always in town from the on the court, off the court, to the media, uh, to the big personalities, the stars. You know, the circus is always in town. So what these young men have now found out that this is a business. At the end of the day, you're paid to play basketball and this is a business. And your contract really means nothing because they can move you at any given time. And they have to face that reality. But I also see it from their perspective as well. Dude, y'all just tried to trade me for Anthony Davis. I really don't want to hear anything you guys have to say because you don't want me anyway. Now, me personally, that wouldn't stop me from going out every night and giving my all because every time you step on the court, it's an audition for either your current team or your next team. And now the best thing for those young men to do is control what they can control. You can control your effort and your level of play night in and night out. So go out, put your head down, play lights out, help the Lakers uh, get into the playoffs, and you will raise your individual status going forward. Now let's switch it up, but we'll stay in the NBA and we'll talk about Russell Westbrook and the incident um, he got into with a fan when the Oklahoma City Thunder played against the Denver Nuggets. Now, during this incident, Russell Westbrook is out of bounds, and he's getting ready to inbounds the ball. And a young fan, looks like he's between the ages of 9 and maybe 12 years old. And he, like, just hits Russell Westbrook on the arm. And, you know, anybody hits you and you don't see him, your first reaction is to turn around and see who hit you. And even Russell admitted, he said that he didn't know it was a kid. So when he turned around, he saw it was a kid, and he acted accordingly. And he handled it with grace. He spoke to the dad. He spoke to the son. Um, he, say you, he used it as a teaching moment for both dad and son. Now, I didn't like the way the mom and the dad reacted when the son touched Russell Westbrook. I don't care how much you pay for your tickets. I don't care where your seats are. I don't care what your status is. I don't care who you are. You should not touch the players. You're not at the zoo. They're not animals, and you cannot pet them. Keep your hands to yourself. Now, what if Russell Westbrook would have turned around and gave that boy a shot of NyQuil, just put him to sleep, just slip, put him straight to sleep? Then what? You know, thank God that he didn't. But the parents, they just sat there, you know, all smirking like, Oh, yes, that's our little Timmy. Man, Timmy going to get beat up. Now, had that been an adult who touched Russell? And I I really wish that that was an adult. Brody would have turned around and gave dude all that he can handle. I truly believe that. He had an incident uh, last year um, where they played against the Utah Jazz in the playoffs. And he's walking to the locker room after they lost to the Jazz and the fan, like, reached out and, like, touched him. 
And before dude could really get his hands on him, he, I mean, karate chopped dude's hands and was about to go at him, but officials grabbed him and took him back to the locker room. And he talked about it. He said, fans have too much leeway. They're getting closer and closer to the court. And it's very dangerous because you don't know anybody's intention. You know, they get searched. They go through metal detection. They get searched before the game. But who knows what somebody has on them and what their intent is when they get close to one of these players. Now, these incidents are very few and far in between. And the NBA experience for fans is probably second to none. I mean, if you really think about it, fans are closer to the players than pretty much any other sport. Football, fans have to sit in the stands. Uh, Hockey, they're behind glass. Baseball, you have to sit in the stands. Um, Even golf, you're behind a rope and you have officials there that are stopping you from getting to the players. On the NBA court, you can literally stand up and walk onto the court and go touch LeBron James. Now, you'll probably be met with a two-piece in a biscuit and get escorted out by the police and being banned from the arena, but nonetheless, you can still do it. And hopefully this is a teaching moment for the NBA because even though the incident was minor, it still shows you that this kid could have did anything he wanted to to Russell Westbrook within that moment because Russ had his back turned to him. I mean, you never know about these kids today, man. He could have been watching prison videos and learned how to make a shiv. He could have shanked Russell Westbrook. and Russ could have bled out on the court and died. Okay, that's going to the extreme, but you get what I'm coming. You get what I'm saying. And that's why one of my favorite sports videos of all time was the Malice at the Palace. A huge brawl between the Indiana Pacers and the Detroit Pistons, where Ron Artest and Steven Jackson of the Indiana Pacers ran up into the stands and got their ludicrous on and started dropping bowls on fans. Throw them bowls. We drop bowls on them. We drop bowls on them. Throw them bowls. Dropping elbows on these dudes' heads. Now let's switch it up a bit. We'll stay on the topic of basketball, but we'll go to NCAA, college basketball. And we're going to talk about the college freshman phenom, Duke small forward, Zion Williamson. Zion, 6'7", 285 pounds. Kid has like a 45-inch vertical or something crazy like that. You know, jump out the gym, just incredibly powerful athlete. He's been billed as the next LeBron, which I don't see a whole lot of LeBron in him. I see more of Charles Barkley and Sean Kemp because he's so explosive. But Last week against uh, University of North Carolina, which I talked about in my podcast, uh, my last my last show, how the tickets for that game were Super Bowl prices just to see Zion. And it was star-studded. You had Obama and Spike Lee in the house just to see Zion. But during that game, 33 seconds um, after tip-off, Zion blew out one of his shoes and sprained his knee. Now, they say the, the sprain is a grade one sprain. It's not very serious. And when he's healthy, he's going to play again for Duke. Now, I already talked about it, how these guys aren't getting paid. And if I'm Zion's father, and I've heard that Zion, he's a nice kid. He's humble. You know, he loves the game and he wants to play. But if I'm Zion's dad, I'll tell Zion, I say, hey, son, I'm going to support you in whatever decision that you make. 
But if you want to shut it down and prepare for the NBA, I'm all for it because you have nothing else to prove on the college level. Now, yeah, you can go out and, you know, win awards, you know, win a national championship in the NCAA tournament. All of that is fine and cool. But, you know, no one really cares about NBA stars winning uh, national championships. So if Zion doesn't want to play anymore, I'm all for it. But, you know, Coach uh, Krzyzewski already came out and said, the head coach of Duke, he already came out and said that once Zion is healthy, Zion said he's going to play. That's fine. But like I've said and I will continue to say, these players should be paid. I think Zion has a – he has an insurance policy, you know, to insure him against injury just in case he gets injured and he can't play in the NBA. And the insurance policy is like for $8 million. Now, for me, that, that that's amazing. I'll take that any day of the week. But to a kid like Zion who who's going to step on a NBA court and already be worth $100-plus million, that's nothing. That's a pittance is what it is. I mean, these boys should at least be able to profit off of their likeness. I mean, if you're not going to pay them a wage, then they should be able to sell pictures, be able to sell autograph memorabilia, and be able to profit off themselves in those different ways. But you're not allowing them to do any of that, all in the name of amateurism. And I told you, that's a, that's a total farce. Now, the NBA and the NBA Players Union are in talks about taking away the one year that's required for players to be out of high school before they can enter into the NBA so a player like Zion can bypass college and go straight to the NBA. Now, I was surprised like more players didn't go the route of playing international, you know, overseas for a year, then coming back and going to the NBA. You know, the allure of playing college basketball, the pageantry, the tournament, the notoriety, the fame, you know, some guys, you know, want to be a part of that, but really get down to what it's really about. It's a business at the end of the day. And the players didn't turn it into a business. Owners turned it into a business. The NCAA turned it into a business. And fans, to a lesser degree, also turned it into a business. You're doing this for money. Now, there's some guys who will do it straight for the love of it. And they'll go out there and they'll play and they don't have to be paid. But those are very few players. Don't get it twisted, ladies and gentlemen. Your favorite player or whoever you like, whoever you think is so passionate about it, take away their contract today. I guarantee you it's only a small, and I'm talking about a small percentage that are going to play for no money at all. Don't buy into the hype. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, we have come to the end of my show. I had so much fun recording today. This, you know, this is a record show for me. This is the longest I've, longest show I've done so far. Had to take a break in between, but you know, finally done. Finally got it out. Please make sure that you like, subscribe, and share. Please do so. Share with any, any and everybody. And remember, you can find me on a multitude of social media platforms. Just search my name, Brandon Lampley. Hey, message me, you know, let me know what you want to hear, let me know what you think of it, whether it's good, whether it's bad, you know, whether you're indifferent. It doesn't matter. I told you, come on and debate me. I ain't got, got nobody to come and debate me yet, man. You sound like you guys are scared. 
Everybody want to talk about, you know, LeBron not being the GOAT. Well, come on, bring me your GOAT and I'll break it down for you. But until next time, I will see you guys later. Peace.